0: Up to this point in our story, Jonah has learned a couple huge lessons. One, the futility of running from the Lord. And two, salvation belongs to the Lord. However, in spite of his sincere thankfulness that God had rescued him from the grips of certain death, it will become apparent in these next couple chapters that there are still some issues in Jonah's heart uh, that he hasn't dealt with yet. As we begin chapter three this morning, the primary focus will now be on Jonah's preaching, repentance from the Ninevites, and Yahweh's compassion. I titled this morning's message, Relentless Compassion. Because uh, throughout this passion, I mean throughout this chapter, God shows us his relentless compassion towards Jonah and towards the Ninevites and uh, and will reveal to you also that whether you believe in him or not or whether you fall in a way that uh, God has a relentless compassion for you too he has a plan for you and he wants to do a work in your life and he wants to use you all in a mighty way even if you don't know it right now even if you doubt you know even if uh You're not sure what to believe. Know this, God has a plan for you, and he has a relentless compassion for you. So with that, let's uh, open up with a word of prayer before we get into into his word. Lord, thank you again for this wonderful time of worship you've given us. Um, Wow, those are great and mighty words within those songs, Lord. And that's what ought to be the cry of our hearts every single day, every single morning we wake up and every, and just throughout the day and before we go to bed. Lord. And yes, we, we surrender it all to you, Lord. We, we surrender our lives, we surrender our hearts, we surrender those things that we hold on to so tightly, Lord. We just give it to you. So now as we continue our worship by getting into your word, Lord, I pray that you will just soften our hearts to receive your word. Fill us with your love, your spirit, Lord, so that we will receive it, cherish it, Lord, and live it out. Speak to us now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we'll, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3 this morning. Jonah chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, I think those Bibles that we have provided for you. Does anybody know what chapter, what page it's in? 506. Exactly. 506. Page 506. Um, but yes, we're continuing on where we left off. We finished off chapter 2 last week and... We're now in chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Chapter 3 begins by telling us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. For the second time now, the prophet receives another opportunity. receives an opportunity to participate in God's mission of bringing one of Israel's most hated enemies to repentance. Jonah is commanded by God with almost the same Hebrew words uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Now in chapter one, we learned that Jonah got up, but he chose to run away in the opposite direction. Here though, because of his love, God graciously offers him a second chance by pressing the reset button of Jonah's life and his calling. The mission to Nineveh can begin again because God has called again. At this point, Jonah doesn't really know the details of the message. All he knows is that he's supposed to go over there and preach the message that was given to him. However, according to what Yahweh already said in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 2, Jonah pretty much knows that this will be a message against Nineveh's wickedness. So without hesitation... This time, verse 3 tells us that Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. You see, Jonah knows why he has to go. Or Jonah, he knows why. He knows why he has to go. Why? After all, he's already been through, he's fully aware that God has pursued him to the gates of death. And brought him back for this very reason Jonah understands that he can't he simply cannot escape God's or this assignment at the end of verse 3 Nineveh is described as an extremely great city in my introduction to Jonah and when I went over chapter 1 I mentioned the importance that the city had at that time so here it may have a double meaning. It may refer to how uh, it, that it was really a really big city and, uh, or that it was an important city to God even though it was inhabited by Gentiles. Now, if in fact the fish vomited Jonah up back in Joppa, then it would have taken up to five weeks to travel 500 to 600 miles by foot Nineveh. Therefore, the three-day walk mentioned at the end of verse 3 may refer to how long it would have taken to preach throughout the entire city and towns of the greater metropolitan uh, city of Nineveh. Verse 4 tells us that on the first day of his mission, Jonah proclaimed the message he was given by God to the Ninevites. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. More than likely, this wasn't all that Jonah proclaimed, but was more so a summary of this prophetic message. While some see this as a prediction of doom, the sending of a prophet and the delay of 40 days seems to indicate that this prediction of judgment was understood by the people as a possibility of Yahweh's mercy if they repented. Jonah knows that Yahweh's message also implies that the people may repent and God will forgive. Such a possibility is exactly why Jonah initially fled to Tarshish in the first place. You see, because of his nationalistic pride, and hatred towards Israel's enemies, the idea of God saving these wicked people completely bothered him. It, it, it was a nerve that was just striking, not only to his, in his mind, but in his heart. In Jonah's heart, he hoped that the Ninevites wouldn't repent and that God would destroy them. However, God's desire was that they that they would repent of their wickedness and be saved. To Jonah's dismay, verse five tells us the how they responded to this message. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. As an outward as outward evidence, they declare a fast, and all of them from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, fasting is a means of seeking God's mercy, while sackcloth is a symbol of repentance. Now, the word repentance isn't in this passage, but repentance isn't really a word. It's something you do. And these people did repentance. One can have repentance without the word itself being spoken. And one can say the word repentance and never truly repent. But we see that their actions truly showed that they were repentant. Now also keep in mind that Jonah had not, had not asked them to change their religions, nor did he seek to dethrone their national God. He simply preached the Word of God. The people heard it, believed that it was true, that it was true and reliable, and repented. So, is this the greatest revival in history, or only a desire to be spared from judgment? The answer isn't absolutely clear. What is clear, however, is that the response to God's word drastically, is drastically different to the, ways is, to the ways Israel had treated its prophets on many occasions, and also to Jonah's initial response to God's message. These first five verses of Jonah, chapter three, re- reveal to us three aspects of God that ought to give us great encouragement. It ought to just bring some relief when it comes to us witnessing, us sharing the word of God, or just you know, walking, being obedient to his calling. First of all, our God is a God of second chances. When we fall, the enemy wants us to believe that our ministry has ended and there's no hope for recovery. But throughout the Bible, we see forgiveness and restoration. Abraham fled to Egypt, where he lied about his wife, but God gave him another chance. Jacob lied to his father, Isaac, but God restored him and used him to build the nation of Israel. Moses killed a man, probably in self-defense, and fled from Egypt but God called him to be the leader of his people. And we can't again forget about Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times, but Jesus forgave him and said, follow me. However, as encouraging as these examples of restoration may be, they must never be an excuse, be used as excuses for sin. The person who says, "Um, I can go ahead and sin, I can do whatever um, I want to do because I know the Lord will forgive me, has no understanding of the awfulness of sin or the holiness of God. God, in his grace, forgives our sins. But God, in his government, determines that we shall reap what we sow and the harvest can be very costly. Secondly, God will often, re- often remain persistent when he calls us. When God calls, a, specific, calls us to a, a person to a specific mission, the task and the journey may not always make sense. Nevertheless, we can be certain that God will insist that it gets done. Again, here's some examples. Moses, Moses re, um, repeatedly, repeatedly argued with Yahweh concerning the Exodus. When Elijah suffered the consequences of his confrontation, uh, with his confrontation with Baal's, prof, Baal's prophets, Yahweh had to encourage him uh, once, that once, uh, he had to encourage him more than once to continue. And in our story here, Jonah struggled with the idea that God would want to save the wicked Ninevites. This ought to encourage anyone considering giving up in the ministry or has already walked away from it. If God has truly called you to accomplish something for him, he often will keep poking at you to get it done. It's that, hey, I called you to do this, keep going, don't stop. Lord, but I'm over here drinking and having fun and I'm, you know, I'm meeting all these, you know, all these people and he's just keep poking you. He's going to keep poking you. Hey, I have a mission for you. I've called you to do this and that. I'm not going to give up on you. And it's eventually, I, I know, believe me, I know, you get tired of that poking and And one way or another, like okay, Lord, okay, stop poking me. I'll keep going. I'll do it. If you haven't learned this already, let me tell you. It's nearly impossible to ignore God's determination to do His work through you. The Lord said in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth, and making it and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me, will not return to me empty, but I will accomplish what I please, and I will prosper in what I send it to do. Thirdly, it ought to encourage us that God's word, not ours, is what changes hearts. When the Lord recommissioned Jonah to go to Nineveh, he obeyed and declared the message that God gave him. From there, God did the rest, He did the work. If you believe that God has called you into the ministry, and to share his word whether it's publicly or privately. Trust in the power that God's word holds and allow him to do the rest. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now here's an important point though, is that whether you share it, again in a public setting, or you share it privately, one-on-one, with somebody or in a small group, share it with earnestness. Speak it like you mean it Adam Clark put it like this earnestness becomes a ministry that has to do with immortal souls asleep and dead in sin hanging on the brink of perdition and insensible of their state the soft speaking gentle intoned unmoved preacher is never likely to awaken souls But this earnestness is widely different from that noisy, blustering, screaming rant that manifests more of a turbulence of disorderly passions than the real inspired influence of the Spirit of God. Again, what he's saying here is speak it like you believe it. Live it like you believe it. You know, people as, as... Kids get older. And I say there's a lot of smart kids out there too that know whether you're being genuine or fake. And I think adults know too. So when you're sharing Christ, when you're sharing a message, whatever it is, speak it with earnestness. Speak it like you really mean it, like you believe it with all your heart. And it has to be real. I mean, I I think there's a lot of out there who have taken all kinds of classes on public speaking and they know the tricks and the, you know but again I think for the most part if especially if one is filled with the spirit they know whether that person speaking is speaking genuinely from the heart and knows what he's speaking about All right, let's um, continue here with our passage Picking up in verse 6 When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may churn and relent. He may churn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions that they, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with and did not do it. In these verses, the writer gives us details of what occurred once Jonah's message has, uh, has reached the highest echelon of Nineveh's leadership and concludes with an appropriate response from God. Verse 6 informs us that when the king of Nineveh hears Jonah's message for himself, his fourfold response reveals that he believes that this is the word of God. And what do we see that he does? He got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth to identify with the common people and sat in ashes. His actions symbolized his... Symbolized his own personal repentance, and was also a public display of absolute helplessness and despair. Now this is exactly what happens with the heart of a person when they come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They get up from their thrones, from the throne of pride, remove the robe of self-righteousness they identify themselves as sinners and seek the forgiveness of sins. J.C. Ryle once commented, the repentant, true repentance is no light matter. It is a thorough change of heart about sin, a change showing itself in godly sorrow and humiliation, in heartfelt confession before the throne of grace in a complete breaking off of sinful habits and an abiding hatred of all sin. Such repentance is the inseparable um, companion of saving faith in Christ. There is true change in a person's heart when someone truly comes to believe the message of Jesus Christ. And when finally they surrender their lives to him, they start just to get rid of the junk that has been holding them down. And radical change begins. But again, it begins with repentance. It begins by saying, you know what, yeah, I messed up. I'm a sinner and I need healing, I need forgiveness. If you've never experienced that, if you've never truly experienced repentance, it will be known by the lifestyle you live. It will continue to live in disobedience. So ask again, just seek that repentance. Ask the Lord to change your heart. You see repentance begins with believing God and trusting in his word. You can do many other things associated with repentance. But if they don't begin with believing and trusting God, they're all useless works of the flesh. Now according to Romans 10:17 it says faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message of Christ. Therefore, any real revival of repentance or repentance will begin with, a, with faithful preaching and faithful hearing of God's word, just as it was in Nineveh. Now, after the overthrow of the king's life before God, we see that he takes a fifth step. He and his nobles issue a proclamation which has five important parts. Firstly, an intensification of the general fast fast that added the the uh, abstention of water. Secondly, an expansion of the sackcloth of repentance to include animals. Thirdly, a command to cry out to God, to the God of Israel for their salvation. Fourthly, a command to repent from their evil ways and wrongdoings. And fifthly, the possibility of hope in God's compassion. Who knows is an expression of humility. The believing king can rely only and humbly on the compassion of the true God for forgiveness of the violence that he has been administrating. The hope was that even a cruel nation that er, had oppressed God's people would be spared from a deserved uh, judgment if its people truly repented. Now, it's important to note that in verse 9, the Ninevites are uncertain as to whether or not their actions will cause God to set aside his judgment. This may indicate that, they are not re- that, they, that they're not receiving follow-up instructions from Jonah and that repentance was not part of Jonah's message. You see, had Jonah's message specified repentance as an option, they wouldn't have doubted that their actions were enough to save them in the Hebrew text, there are only five words in Jonah's message. Yet God used those five words words to stir an entire population, from the king on the throne to the lowest person in the field. As Christians, if our desires to be effective witnesses of the gospel we need to stop seeing unbelievers as our enemies and see them as God sees them. Regardless of how we feel about them, they should have an opportunity to hear from Yahweh, turn from their violent, violent ways, and be forgiven. Yes, this even includes the Muslim radical, people we disagree with politically, and even those attempting to undermine the biblical values this nation was founded on. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That is what witnessing is all about, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to all people so that they may be saved and have everlasting life. Now, has anyone here ever heard the word red pilling? If you haven't, it's a term to describe someone who's awoken from uh, the liberal political matrix and are now able to see the dangers of social progressivism. It's believed that the current walk away movement is the result of people being red-pilled. Now the main issue I have with red-pilling is that it falls short of a true great awakening. One must be born again to wake up from the spiritual matrix that the devil has kept them in since sin entered the world. You see, according to Romans 12, chapter two, it's only, it's only by being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and, and, and perfect will of God. 1 John 5.1 tells us everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So again, I mention it because the only red pill that matters is the one made from the blood of Jesus Christ and given freely to anyone who asks for it. In John 5.24, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Well, at this point of our story, it looks as though Jonah's mission is complete. The effect of his preaching has been absolutely stunning. The Ninevites have acknowledged the true God. They've sought him through fasting repented of their evil ways and have been converted. The only thing they and Jonah could do now is wait and see what Yahweh will do. Unfortunately though, both were hoping for completely different results. In the final verse of this chapter, we're told how God finally responded to the people's Repentance. God saw their actions, so God relented. God honored Nineveh's repentance, even though their past sin was just reason enough for an outpouring of judgment. However, God responded to them with compassion and forgiveness. He sees that they have. He sees what they have done to humble themselves and sees their sincerity in repentance and leads him, and it leads him to mercifully relent from the judgment against them. This final verse is key in this entire book of Jonah. It's key because it, it, sa- it not only saves the Ninevites, but it all, but also it's also the subject of Jonah's protest from chapter one and will be the point of contention at the end of this book now some may also argue that god relenting from the disaster he had threatened him with supports the idea that god changes his mind based on humanity's actions however we must remember that God's warning was conditional. Basically, if you do this, then I will do that. Bruce Ware said this, it was God's intent all along to show mercy to the Ninevites, knowing that the stated prediction of judgment would elicit the repentance so so that God could display His originally intended mercy. You see, God's response wasn't because all of a sudden the entire Ninevite population had become good people. He relented in response to their change of heart. And that's key. People can change their behavior and they can say, oh, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to do this, I'm going to stop watching these movies, or I'm going to stop, hear, stop hearing that movie, or I'm going to stop going to that place, and start, or stop hanging out with that person, but you know, it, it, true repentance, again, is a change of heart, and the reason, again, that God relented wasn't because of what they did. It was because of their change of heart. Yahweh saved them out of mercy and compassion, when they humble themselves before him. I believe personally that this was to definitively prove to Jonah and to the nation of Israel that he truly meant it when he said, when he said in Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who bear my name humble themselves pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways then i will hear from heaven forgive their sin and heal their land so you see what i'm saying it's that what nineveh did here their change of heart was an example that god will get it done it was to show the israelites it was to show god's people See, I'm able to save these people because they repented. If I can save them, you have to believe that I can save you too. Unfortunately though, time and time again, yeah, they, the people did repent. There were times that we see revival. But for the most part, they always went back to their ways, to their evil ways of disobedience. And how many times, again, does that happen in our own lives, you know, we we see His work in our lives, and we, you know, one moment we're praising and worshiping Him, and the next we're just doing our own things, become disobedient. You know, He says again, "I will come if you just humble yourselves. I will heal you." I will, again, do a work in your life, not just, again, and not just personally, but as a nation as well. You know, this is an example for us, too. Uh, you know, again, this is another example of you know, how would we react if, let's say, you know, one of these radical Muslim countries all of a sudden came to know the Lord. The nation saw a revival, and all the people, all its leaders, came to Christ. Would we, as a nation, follow example? Follow their example? Or would we say, "Oh, they're just crazy people. You know, if they're not. You know, fundamentally Muslim. Now they're fundamentally Christian, and we're better than them." I think this is sometimes, or may, may have been the. the the mind and heart of, of maybe the nation of Israel at that time again we don't know I'm just making an assumption here but again he used the, the point is that he used this nation to show them that he will heal them and he will forgive them and heal their land God longs for his people to return to him even when they are wicked You see, he's free to judge sin according to his righteousness or to forgive according to his compassion. God's change of heart stands in contrast to Jonah's consistent desire to see justice done and the wicked punished. This inclination is common to human experience, especially when the enemy has perpetrated terror on civilian populations and have boasted about it. We need to understand that God is free from the necessity of strict justice and can pursue better justice in His, relenting, in his relent, unrelenting love for His creation. So although God's judgment of destruction is just, his compassion may prevail. Jonah's problem is that the Ninevites of the day were not punished for their wickedness and God's compassion prevailed. The fact that, it, that the hearts of the violent can be overthrown by the mere possibility of God's compassion is the subject of Jonah's argument with God in the next chapter and which we'll look at again next week. The primary foundation for understanding God's compassion is to understand our need and our desperate situation. In God's eyes unbelievers, we before we came to Christ, we were no different than the Ninevites, but his desire was to save us from eternal suffering. So when the message of Christ was preached to us, we had a choice, believe it or not. And we chose, if you're sitting here and you're born again, that means that you decided to say yes. You decided to accept God's invitation of salvation, and he saved you. He saved you from the eternal suffering that was awaiting you, that would have awaited you had you said no. And that, again, is completely mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing that he would save me, that he would save, I mean, I think you would maybe feel the same way after everything that I've done, after all the hurt, pain, not just that I caused my family, my friends, but also how much I offended him. He still loved me and forgave me, had compassion for me and didn't want me to suffer. Even though I, I deserved it, he said, He said, this is the reason I sent Jesus Christ, to die for you, so you will be forgiven. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God offers one path of salvation, his son, Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved and Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no one can come to the Father but by me there's no other way so when God reveals that to you, again, you may be listening and watching, and, and, yeah. and, and, become, and it's become absolutely clear, God is, is speaking to your heart. He's telling you, there's no other way. What are you going to do about it? Will you accept it or reject it? You know, I'm, I'm telling you that He's giving, he's, he's poking at your heart, He's tugging at your heart, because of his compassion for you, his love for you. He didn't have to. He doesn't have to, but he does because he loves you. And this is the reason, again, he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. And God is awesome, isn't he? I mean, he's just, let me repeat that. It's completely mind-blowing. that he will save us. wicked, Just as wicked as the Ninevites. Again, just to, to summarize here, this chapter may be encapsulated in three words. Demolished, which in Hebrew is hapak; Repentance, in Hebrew it's sub or sub. And compassion, Hebrew word is naham. These words represent the the three major actions in the text. Jonah's preaching, the Ninevites giving up their evil ways, and Yahweh's compassion. They also point to the enduring truth of a real relationship with sinners and Yahweh. Reconciliation with God is a threefold movement a demolishment of the prideful self, repentance of sin, and the acceptance of God's compassionate forgiveness. Let me repeat what I've already said. God's compassion for you is relentless. He didn't give up on Jonah. And because of the Ninevites' change of heart, He relented on destroying them because of his compassion and his love will you accept his offer of reconciliation will you accept jesus christ as lord and savior will you make him the lord of your life he's saying to you personally. Listen. I wanna save you. I wanna rescue you. But you must do this. And what is it that he wants you to do? He wants you to have genuine repentance. He He wants you to come to him broken and empty. He wants you to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants you to know that He died for you so that your sins will be no more. He wants to reconcile. That's His desire. That relationship that we had with God was broken the moment that man and woman ate from that fruit, from the fruit of the tree. And now he's offered a way to reconcile us to him. And how does he offer that again? Through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Do you want reconciliation with him? Is that what your desire truly is? And if it is, then allow me to to lead you in a prayer to accept the Lord into your heart today. So wherever you're at, again, with all earnestness, sincerity, you are speaking again to the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of this universe, he who holds your life in the palm of his hand humbly come before him and pray this Lord forgive me of my sins I know that I've offended you I know that I've messed up and I see now that I'm lost without you. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your son, to die on the cross for my sins. I confess that he is Lord, and I believe with all of my heart that he's, he is God. I lay my sins before Him now, Lord, and ask that You make me new. Fill me now with Your Holy Spirit so that I may see You, understand You, hear from You, so that I may be truly awakened. Lord, I receive, I accept your forgiveness. Now help me to walk according to your ways. Help me to be obedient to you all the days of my life. Thank you for your compassion and your love towards me your unrelenting love in Jesus name Amen Again, if you prayed that let us know Um, give us a call visit our website send us a message and we'll get back to you and show you how you can continue in your walk with the Lord but again what an awesome message again here I mean we've gone through chapter 1 chapter 2 chapter 3 here man I think there's many things here that the, the Lord is speaking to us about he's showing us and teaching us if you're like Jonah hey just share the message preach the word and if you're like the people of Nineveh you know, if you've prayed that you've trusted in him Have faith and believe that He will relent. He's relented, He's forgiven you. we have been given that promise. The blood of Jesus Christ now covers you. Let's now live obediently. Let's now live for Him. Let's now live our lives the way Christ wants us to live. Let's be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's truly be children of God. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you again for this word. Thank you for this amazing story we just read in Jonah chapter 3 and the message that you have within it, Lord, that you've given us. Thank you for using me to speak this message, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone here that is doubting or having difficult times and, and really, really tr- trying to figure out if they really want to continue in walking with you or in serving you. Lord, may this chapter be just an encouragement to them that you will, again, you you are doing all the work, Lord. All they all they got to do is just be obedient, and to and that they need to just hold on to you, to look to you for strength, or to keep going another day, because on our own, we we're, we're we we do not have the power, we don't have the strength. But with you, all things are possible. Lord, encourage everyone here, Lord, that's having a hard time. And just show them again that there's a crown waiting for them at the finish line. And that when they get there, you will faithfully say, welcome, my good and faithful servant. Fred, thank you for this week, Lord. I just pray for the upcoming week that you watch over us, watch over our families, keep our country safe, Lord. Protect us. Pray for our leaders, our city, state, and national leaders. We pray for revival. We pray that this country will just humble themselves, humble ourselves, and call out to you. That we have the same kind of revival that happened in Nineveh, do we need it. Lord, bless everyone here. Bless us next time of fellowship. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.